Well, good morning. I, uh, Brian and I must have had several similar weeks. Mine was pretty frustrating as well, but uh, I have a lot to be grateful for. One of the things that I'm really thankful for, uh, as many of you know, uh, Terry's mom has been in some critical health over the last several weeks. We've probably made five or six trips to Dallas in the last six or seven weeks, and so it's been a, a crazy time for us. But this past uh, week, Terry and I celebrated our 30th wedding anniversary. So, even though she's not here, I'm sure she's watching. I love you. I miss you. I'll see you soon. And yeah, thank you for that. Um, I know one of the things that I... Uh, I'm aware of is the um, call to pray for Ukraine today in particular. And I want to do that this morning, but I have mixed emotions about these day of prayers because it's almost like it gets us off the hook. If we just pray today, then we're good. We can check it off. We should have been praying for Ukraine long before today, and we should continue long after today. So I'm going to pray for them now, but I would ask that this be on our heart continually and not just in this moment. Let's pray. Father, as we do come before you this morning, we recognize that there are those in different parts of the world, in particular in Ukraine, who are in some miserable, horrifying, desperate conditions. And yet we do believe that even in the midst of those conditions, you are present that you're powerful, and that you are at work. That nothing going on is a surprise to you. Nothing is outside of your planned intent to bring good and righteousness and peace and hope, which you will ultimately accomplish one day. And every knee will bow, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. So Lord, in this moment, give them strength, Bring them to our minds. In the comfort of our circumstances, may we not lose sight of those who are in far worse situations. Father, we trust you. We trust them with you. And we pray that your hand is revealed in a mighty and powerful way. We pray this in your name. Amen. So last week, the writer of Hebrews urged us to consider Jesus. And we talked about what that meant, to, to pay attention, to look carefully, to think deeply. And I really hope that you took some time this past week to do just that. Because in a world that's filled with distractions, it's easy to lose sight of our Savior. It reminds me of Peter when he stepped out of the boat and began to walk on water. He was doing just fine as long as he fixed his eyes on Jesus. But he began to sink when he saw all the things that were happening around him. And much like Peter, the same can happen to us. We can be distracted by all the things that surround us. And those distractions can be dangerous because they can lead to discontent. And discontent is dangerous because it is the source of a multitude of sins. Discontent in marriage can lead to unfaithfulness. Discontent in our jobs can lead to disrespect. Discontent in our faith can lead to sinful 
compromise, which happens to be what's on the heart of our author in our passage this morning. Because his audience, as we've been talking about, is increasingly discontent. And they are on the verge of abandoning their faith. They are deeply discouraged by the circumstances that surround them. And to be honest, I understand they're they're going through some really difficult times. But we also need to understand that Jesus never promised that when we follow him, it will be an easy and peaceful life, did he? In fact, what did he tell us? In John 16, he says, In this world, you will have trouble. And Paul echoes the same thing to Timothy when he says, All who dare to live godly, desire to live godly lives in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Now, I realize those are not promises that we see on coffee mugs and t-shirts and posters in our rooms, but they're promises. They are realities of life in this world. So we should not be surprised when we run into difficulty. In fact, the, the, the fact of the matter is we should be more surprised with ease than we are with difficulty. But we set ourselves up for disappointment when our expectation is ease, that that life would go well. Because this disappointment then can lead to discontent. And discontent can lead to disobedience. And if we continue in sin, it can lead to a heart that becomes hard, which is the author's concern this morning and the reason that he gives us warning number two. Now, hopefully you remember warning number one from just a couple of weeks ago when he warned us not to drift away, not to take the gospel for granted, becoming distracted and indifferent, losing sight of God's saving truth. Don't drift away. And now he comes to warning number two, don't be discontent. Don't drift away, warning number one. Don't be discontent. Warning number two. Discontentment can cause us to to compromise our convictions and our our commitment to God and, and, and lose sight of the faithfulness that Jesus has displayed toward us. We grumble and we complain because we expected something better. And so the author warns us, beware of unbelief. Let's pray together. Father, I believe in all my heart that this is a sincere and serious warning that we need to hear very clearly in our lives today. So I would ask, in your grace and mercy, by the power of your Spirit, that it is work among us in this moment Would you penetrate deeply into our hearts and help us understand this obstacle to our faith that is just as prevalent in our world today, in our church today, in our lives today as it was when these words were first written. So speak clearly this morning, Lord, and penetrate deeply into our hearts. We pray this in your name. Amen. Well, hopefully we've been learning how how Jesus has been faithful to his mission. He's been faithful to his 
promises, giving us confidence that we can put our faith in him. In other words, when we consider Christ, we know that he is worthy of our trust. And so the writer is warning us, beware of unbelief. But before we unpack what I believe to be a really important message, I want us to notice something that can be very subtle but significant in verse 7. It opens up by saying, therefore, Hebrews chapter 3, verse 7, therefore, just as the Holy Spirit says. This is a subtle but very significant statement. Because the author will then go on to quote from Psalm 95. A psalm written by a human author, but words that were inspired by the Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit says. It's the very same idea when Paul writes to Timothy and says, all Scripture, all of it is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. And what it's telling us is that every word of the Bible is God-breathed and for our benefit. And so when the Scripture speaks, God speaks. When the Scripture speaks, God speaks. The Holy Spirit says... And I want you to notice that it's an ongoing truth. It didn't say the Holy Spirit said, past tense. Look again. It says the Holy Spirit says, present tense. So what that's telling us is the Holy Spirit is speaking every time we open this book. The Holy Spirit says. The author will later explain in Hebrews that the Holy Scriptures are living and active. That their truths are eternal. And so when we open God's Word, we need to be convinced, we need to be convicted in our heart that we are listening, that we are hearing the very words of God, that He is still speaking to us. So if today you hear His voice, and you will as soon as we read this passage then harden not your heart. Listen to what he says beginning in verse 7. Therefore, just as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts, as when they provoked me, as in the day of the trial in the wilderness, where your fathers tried me by testing me and saw my works for 40 years, Therefore, I was angry with this generation and said, they always go astray in their heart. They did not know my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. The the writer of Hebrews here is speaking about a very well-known part of Jewish history. When those who were led out of slavery in Egypt wandered in the desert for 40 years, but listen to me clearly, only because of unbelief. They were rebellious, even though God was faithful. Because no matter what God did, it just never seemed to be enough. 
There was an entire generation of people who were marked by an attitude of discontent. They repeatedly, as this passage tells us, put God to the test by grumbling and complaining. The Lord was their daily provision, and yet they continually questioned his care. It began in Egypt when God miraculously delivered the Israelites following 10 unprecedented plagues of judgment, right? He led their escape with his visible presence. You'll remember that there was a cloud by day and a fire by night. But then they ran into an obstacle when they were trapped between the Red Sea and the pursuing Egyptian army. But in that moment, instead of turning to the God who had just rescued them miraculously, having made his presence known before them, he, they then, instead of turning to him, turned and complained to Moses. They said to Moses in Exodus 14, 11, was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us to this desert to die What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? Didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone. Let us serve the Egyptians. It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. That was the first rattle out of the box. That was the first way that they showed gratitude for all that God was doing. And yet, he was merciful in their unbelief allowing them to cross the sea on dry land, destroying that army of pursuit behind them. They they continue on their journey, again, being led by that visible presence of God, cloud by day, fire by night. But instead of being grateful for God's rescue, they they begin to complain because they're hungry. Once again, They don't turn to God in faith. They don't look to him in their time of need. They turn to Moses and they grumble and complain. The Israelites said in Exodus chapter 16, verse 3, if only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. But you have brought us into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. Notice they don't mention anything about what God has done to provide for them. They simply complain about what they don't have. But again, God bears with their unbelief, and he miraculously provides. He gives them manna from heaven, literally bread that comes out of the sky, provided for them every single day. But it still wasn't enough. Because once their hungry bellies were full, then they were thirsty and complained about needing something to drink. This is actually what the writer of the Psalm 95 being quoting in our passage, it's actually this particular event that he's referring to. In the absence of gratitude, now their complaints become demands. Listen closely as it says in Exodus 17.2. So they quarreled with Moses and said... Give us water to drink. Do you hear the demand? Moses replied, why do you quarrel with me? Why do you put the Lord to the test? 
Because you see, that's the real issue here. No matter what God does for them, it's never enough. Instead of trusting in God, they are testing him. They are trying his patience. By complaining to Moses, they are rebelling against God. That becomes explicit in Exodus chapter 17, verse 7, when it says, And he called the place Masa, which means test, and Mirabah, which means quarrel or rebellion, because the Israelites quarreled and because they tested the Lord, saying, Is the Lord among us or not? Are you kidding me? Seriously, think about that. Ten plagues of judgment. A fire by night, a cloud by day, miraculously parting the Red Sea, manna from heaven, water coming from a a rock. Is God with us? Does he really care? And so finally, based on their incessant unbelief, God delivers them over to their doubts. He gives them according to their grumbling. Listen to what it says in Numbers chapter 14, verse 28. God says, so tell them, as surely as I live, declares the Lord, I will do to you the very thing I heard you say. In the wilderness, your bodies will fall. Every one of you, 20 years old or more, who has counted in the census, who has grumbled against me. Now, here's what's amazing. There are estimates of some, at least a million, a million and a half Egyptian, or excuse me, Israelites that were led out of uh, slavery in Egypt, okay? That's a large mass of people, right? There were only two over the age of 20 who ever entered into the promised land out of those millions of people. Their discontent led them into disobedience and rebellion. Their repeated rejection resulted in hard, unbelieving hearts. Look at how it continues in verse 12. Take care, brethren, that there not be in any one of you an evil, unbelieving heart that falls away from the living God. But encourage one another day after day as long as it is still called today. So that none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. We have become partakers of Christ if we hold fast to the beginning of our assurance firm until the end. While it is said, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as when they provoked me. So first, glancing backwards to the bad example of their ancestors, the writer of Hebrews now urges his Jewish audience not to make the same mistake. He said, be careful. Take care. Pay attention. Look inward to to make sure there are no signs of an unbelieving, ungrateful heart. Complaining about what you don't have instead of rejoicing. Rejoicing of the riches of the grace that has been lavished upon you in Jesus Christ. He says, look for distractions that that hinder your trust, that harden your heart. 
which reminds me of the parable Jesus gave, the parable of the soils, and in particular, that seed of truth that fell on the hard and rocky ground. Remember that? Jesus explains that part of his parable in Luke 18, 13, when he says this, those on rocky soil are those who, when they hear, receive the word with joy, but they have no firm root. They believe for a while, and in time of temptation, fall away. The, the word there for temptation can mean test or it can mean trial. And I believe what it's talking about here is the normal everyday life experiences, the, the difficulties and frustrations that you and I face that expose where we find our hope. Do we look to Jesus? Do we rely on his promises? Or like the Israelites, do we grumble and complain because he didn't do enough? Is our heart filled with gratitude or discontent? So the, the writer of Hebrews admonishes us. He admonishes those that he's writing to, to encourage each other, to remember. He says, encourage one another day by day as long as it is still called today. Because I think he's acknowledging that, look, life this side of heaven is not easy. It can be really hard. And God did not design us to try to navigate this life on our own. He created us to flourish within the fellowship of the saints, within the beautiful body of Christ that he created, the church. Strong convictions flow out of deep community. Do you hear that? Strong convictions flow out of deep community. Doubt and deception are born out of isolation. It's where our heart becomes hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. But living in community is where we are invited to walk in the light. Because here's the deal. Okay, don't miss this. Hidden sin creates a hard heart. Okay? We've all dealt with this, so let's just be honest with ourselves and realize and confess that hidden sin creates a hard heart. 1 John 1.8 says very clearly, if we say we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves. That's the deceitfulness of sin. And it goes on and says, and the truth is not in us. Instead, we need to understand that Christians are people of confession. People who are committed to, to a culture, to a, a community of, of vulnerability and transparency. Because verse 14 in our passage reminds us, we are in this together. We together are partakers in Christ. One body with, with individual parts, knowing that, that God has designed us to be connected and, and interdependent upon one another. So much so that the strength of my faith is directly correlated to the depth of my community and the very same thing is true for you. That's a big part of how we hold fast. We remind each other of God's grace, of God's forgiveness, of God's faithful 
daily provision. Instead of thinking about how hard life is, we remind each other about how good God is. We hold to this world loosely, but we hold to our faith firmly. You see, left to ourselves, discontent becomes a breeding ground for unbelief. But authentic community can become a stronghold for our faith. Look at how he continues in verse 16. He asks a series of questions beginning with this one. He says, for who provoked him? When they had heard, indeed, did not all those who came out of Egypt led by Moses? And with whom was he angry for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? So we see that they were not able to enter because of unbelief. The writer of Hebrews closes this section with a series of questions. These questions are intended to go back and kind of reclarify or reaffirm everything that he has already been saying. He first asks, who provoked God when they heard? It's an obvious answer. It's who we've been talking about. It's the Israelites, the ones God mercifully rescued that then became rebels. These are the people Moses led out of slavery in Egypt. And who was God angry with for for the next 40 years? Was it not the very same people? (laughs) Because of their incessant grumbling and complaining. No matter what God did, it was never enough. Their discontent turned into disobedience. The ones God rescued became rebels. And because of their unbelief, they forfeited God's promised rest. They chose to die in the desert instead of trusting in God's sovereign plan. This is where the author is making an intentional connection with his audience, which does in fact include us. Because just like the Israelites, we too have been rescued. We have been set free from slavery to sin through the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. And he promises to lead us through the wilderness of this world, through the indwelling work of the Holy Spirit, each day drawing us near to that promised place of rest, our heavenly home within a new creation, living eternally in the life-giving presence of our loving God and Father. But just like the Israelites, we can forfeit this promise because of unbelief. True faith will not take root in a hard heart. Complaining about our problems instead of rejoicing in our salvation. Beware of unbelief. Now I hope that as we walk through this together, you get a sense of the urgency that the author intends, not only for his audience 
in this scripture, but also, I think, for the audience this morning. And so I think we need to take this warning to heart. Because life this side of heaven is messy, isn't it? It's filled with disappointment. Things not working out like we'd hoped. We just talked about it. This last week was a frustrating week. Why was it frustrating? Because things weren't working out like they were supposed to. It was disappointing. Happy marriages are hard work. That's a fact. Raising a family is deeply meaningful and incredibly difficult, right? Our health fails. Economies crumble. Nations rage. And our tendency, just like the Israelites, is to grumble and complain. We can let all our unmet expectations turn into discontent. Instead of trusting in God, we blame Him for all of our problems. We expect life to go well, to be easy, to have comfort. It's as if God promised us a life of ease, but He didn't. He said, In this world you will have trouble, gas prices will rise. Nations will rage. Pandemics will come. Health will fail. Declining morality will lead to increasing persecution. None of this, not a single thing, should be a surprise to any person in this room. We must be careful. Not to let our discontent turn into disobedience. So that our heart becomes hardened by sin. And we end up justifying our sin and rebel against the one who ultimately rescued us from sin. So today, since you have heard his voice, then harden not your heart. Instead, I think we need to be careful and consider some ways that we might keep our heart soft. We already talked about how hidden sin creates a hard heart, right? So an obvious antidote to hidden sin is a life of confession. And it begins with our confession to God. Christians are people of confession. This should be a a normal part of how we relate to a loving Father who promises forgiveness. We should be a people of confession. I love the way that we see that heart from David in Psalm 51 when he says, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. He's not only praying for forgiveness of the sin in his heart, but he's asking him to purify his heart so that he may walk in obedience. It starts with confession before God, but let me just say this, it should not end there. It should include a confession with our brothers and sisters in Christ so that We are not fooled by the deceitfulness of sin. I love this quote from Diedrich Bonhoeffer. And I want you to listen closely to what he's saying here, okay? He says this, Why is it that it is often easier for us to confess our sins to God than to a brother? 
He said, God is holy and sinless. He is a just judge of evil and the enemy of all disobedience. But our brother is sinful as we are. He knows from his own experience the dark night of secret sin. Why should we not find it easier to go to a brother than to a holy God? We must ask ourselves whether we have not often been deceiving ourselves with our confession of sin to God, whether we have not rather been confessing our sins to ourselves and granting ourselves absolution. Who can give us the certainty that in the confession and the forgiveness of our sins, we are not dealing with ourselves, but with the living God? God gives us this certainty through our brother. Our brother breaks the cycle of self-deception. A man who confesses his sins in the presence of a brother knows that he is no longer alone within himself. He experiences the presence of God in the reality of the other person. Confession to God. Confession to one another is what keeps our heart soft. And and really tied to that is another thing we see very clearly in our passage this morning, and that is community. Remember that we are designed to be interdependent upon one another. Strong convictions flow out of deep community. Left to ourselves, we can get lost in our own negative thoughts. I know this for a fact because I experience it. All the what-if worry that just cycles in our minds. We can become distracted by Satan's lies and start listening to things that never came from God, but he says that they did. And left to ourselves, we can end up believing him. But, But we keep our hearts soft by being with God's people and spending time in God's word. A word that is living and active, and it still speaks to us today. Honest confession, biblical community, and then finally, humble gratitude. See, for many of us, gratitude is not a natural tendency, right? If you're like me, you have a a tendency to uh, identify what's wrong before you recognize what's right. And so we need to develop a heart of gratitude by recognizing the things around us that are worthy of God's praise. Recognizing the the beauty of his creation. Just being able to feel the warmth of the sunlight and know that that was a created gift by a loving God. Or or the affection of of a spouse or or the kindness of a friend. Those are are all gifts of God. And, And in those moments, we can pause and say, thank you, Lord, and be grateful for those gifts. Abundant gifts every day. And gratitude is the art of not taking things for granted. Like the fact that you woke up today. That you have breath in your lungs and a roof over your head. Don't take that for granted. It is a gift of God's grace. Be grateful. Being grateful takes the life out of grumbling. (laughs) And it keeps our hearts soft. So walk in the light. Live in community. And learn to be grateful. And listen, we need to be convinced that Jesus is 
at work, that he is present, that he is providing, and that even when life is hard, he's worthy of our trust. He's faithful to provide. His promises are true. Amen? Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the truth of your word. And just the the power of the warnings that were obviously relevant to the reader, or they wouldn't be there. But how miraculous that they can be just as relevant to us, the reader today, in our world today, in the life that we live in now. Father, how easy it is to be a people who are more geared towards grumbling than gratitude, more keen at identifying wrong instead of recognizing right. So Lord, would you forgive us for that? Instead, would you help us be a people who live transparent lives, being honest with ourselves and with you and with our brothers and sisters around us, being people of confession. Help us to live in community, to to gather around your word and know that every time we open the book, we hear your voice speaking into our lives. Lord, give us gratitude for the evidence of your goodness in our everyday lives. Father, help us beware of unbelief and help us put our trust in you. We pray this in your name. Amen. Let's stand together. That really is our prayer. Help me trust you more and more because I want to be clear and make sure that you understand. I understand that life is messy and can be frustratingly difficult. I shared with you things that are going on with Terry's mom. This is a hard season for us. And sometimes we have to be honest with the fact that we get really frustrated and in our frustration, we cry out to God, why is this happening? Man, I've been plagued with migraines this week and I just cried out, why can't you take these away? That's normal because we all have things that we struggle with this side of heaven that we would want to see released. But life is messy and we need each other and we need to be reminded that Jesus is enough and that he is faithful and he is worthy of our trust and that one day those things go away. And we don't expect it to be today because he never promised it would be. But he did promise there would be a day, and that's what our hearts long for. So we encourage each other. We strengthen each other. We stand firm together. So let's have the balance where we we can be honest. We can have doubts, but we keep coming back to Jesus. And we pray, help me trust you more and more. We are in this together. Let's pray. Father, thank you for that blessing that we're not alone. That we all have struggles and hurts and difficulties and frustrations. It's life this side of heaven. The Lord, would you please protect us from an unbelieving heart, a heart that becomes hardened with complaining and grumbling when in fact you are present. You have made yourself known. You daily provide and sustain. You are with us. You are for us. You will never leave us. You will never, ever forsake us. So, Lord, we look to you. We put our trust in you. We believe in all of our hearts that our hope is found in you. 
And will you help us learn to trust you more and more every day? We pray this in your most precious and holy name. Amen. Have a great day.